Hi. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks for uh, for agreeing to uh, chat with us today. <laughs> oh, it's all good. All good. Yeah, um, it's about uh, almost ten o'clock here in the UK, and um, okay. yeah, but um, you know, it's, um, it's 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 a real privilege, and and I, and, and I guess the one one things that um, you know over here, one of the things about our show is must be the music. You know, you, you know, you've, you've re- released multiple albums, big, you know, hit the charts, and, and you have all this, this success. So I think one of the things we wanted to find out was, uh, you know, we, we can read your bio about how you started and stuff, but it's it's not everyone that gets to play basketball that plays for the NBA. Not everyone that plays football gets to play for the NFL. It's not everyone that right. starts to sing gets a number one record, global success. So I, I know you're from Flint, Michigan, but it, it isn't um, it isn't New York and, and LA where you know the, the music scenes were big. How did you? start off at the very beginning um just become to start singing well you know i um i come from sports i'm a big football fan and music music was something that i kind of came home from football practice and my mom bought a piano a pool piano and i got started writing songs just organically a blessing from god i would come home fiddle faddle on the piano and i would come up with these melodies but I wouldn't think anything of it until the talent shows. And uh, I would go to some of the talent show rehearsals. I'm like, oh man, I could never do this. And the girls started screaming (laughs) for one of the guys that was trying out for this uh, talent show. I said, next year I'll be at the talent show. (laughs) So that started me on this journey because I wanted to hit a girl's scream. I wanted to get on stage and be the star in high school and junior high school. And so, that's kind of how my music career started. So, your, your mom buys you a piano. Did she? Did you go for piano lessons? Did you? Did she know you could sing, or what was? That? I didn't even know I could sing. <laughs> <laughs> so, she, uh, she, you know, she bought the family piano. Okay. And uh, we took lessons for probably. I took lessons for probably a week, and it was wow. just too disciplined for me. I had to get there, and Miss Northrup was my teacher. And it just was so boring to me to sit there and learn the piano. I told my mom, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> so so uh, I was still fiddle-faddle on the piano, and I just had a, this melody thing, probably from growing up listening to the blues, Sam Cooke. I grew up in uh, Michigan, but I was born in Clarksdale, Mississippi. Okay. Where, uh, Sam Cooke was born, the B.B. Kings, the, the big blues guys. And I grew up listening to that from my mom and dad. And I think that's pretty much where I get that storytelling from. Yeah, but uh, because it must be a gift because I, 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 much as I like to play piano, to write a song to the melody, where you just, could you hear it? And then you just put a, does it just come into you like like an inspiration or? It's more of an inspiration because if, I like to let music come to me. So when I'm sitting down on the keyboard, I'll fiddle-faddle until I hear something that strikes my attention. Wow. So I don't sit down with a predestined uh, idea of what I'm going to come up with. Yeah. It's more or less sitting down, playing around, and all of a sudden, one day I'm going to hit a chord that's going to make me build another chord and build another chord. And from there, I usually create a song. And then on top of that, I'll come across with a vocal arrangement 
and it just keeps growing from there. So I pretty much grow a song. So going back to when you the, the talent show, did you did you say okay I'm gonna sing a Temptations track, or were you then thinking okay, you, were you writing your own? What what did you end up doing? I ended up writing my own song. It's a song on our second album. It's called It's All a Game. What? And I was in the talent show and I was playing it and some of the guys were like, all right, trying to clap me off the stage. And I stood up and did my hair back like this. I said, I'm not done yet. <laughs> and the crowd went crazy. And I ended up taking second place to my sister who went that one first place. Oh, goodness. Oh, <laughs> But then, what about the confidence to get on stage? Because that's that's also that's also a big thing. Yeah, yeah. I was uh, the first talent show I got in. I think I was uh, in the third grade, and that was a kiddie talent show. But when I got in high school, it was a uh, people are really staring at you and looking at you. Yeah. And I think that confidence, I just had to put that in the back of my head because I really wanted the girls to scream. So the fear. <laughs> And all that kind of like went away. And I'm like, let me just get out here and do my thing. I was nervous. Okay. But at the same time, I just like, I got to get it done. And that's what I did. What about the football? What happened with football when you were, when you found this new talent? What, what what happened to football? I continued to play football. I ate today for football. Football is my first love, but I stopped growing. Okay. 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 <laughs> yeah. I stopped growing and football was no longer reality. My dad was a football coach so football was ingrained in me okay uh, from a child and that's still my love but uh, yeah reality set in i didn't grow in <laughs> okay i guess you guys are <laughs> detroit lions fans or i'm a pittsburgh steeler man <laughs> okay 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 since i was eight years old i've been a pittsburgh steeler fan wow living in detroit uh, living in how far is mr flint from detroit is it it's like uh 60 miles north Okay, so you not necessarily you have to you being from Flint, you didn't have to be a, a Lions fan and, and Sanders. Nah, not necessarily. Yeah, fifty miles north, and uh, I grew up in Flint. I moved out of the city of Flint back in uh, nineteen eighty-six, so I kind of moved out to the suburbs outside of uh, Flint. But I still have my family and friends and everybody. A lot of people. Okay. Now, one of the things I noticed is, is um, you, you know, when you're doing research, is that you formed the group uh, with your friend Gordon. Formed the right. Ready for the World. Yeah, now, Gordon and I formed the group from in high school. Yeah. yeah so, I, I, so the question then becomes: Is the because um, you've already had the talent and you already had the exposure? What was the reason for wanting to be in a group as opposed to being solo? Because that's that I, I just wondered. The main reason why we did the group thing, it was in style. Um, other than that, there was no other reason because Gordon and I, we started the group, but at the same time, when you have a lot of people uh, in any type of partnership, there can come a lot of differences, creative differences. So our thing was to form a group because it was in style. It wasn't that we really needed to be in a group because mm -hmm. we were already writing and singing and I was already doing the backgrounds and doing a lot of things myself. Yeah. And, uh, but you know, it was Gordon and I that were gonna go ahead and do it. But we formed and got these guys from other groups just because it was in style. Okay, so what were the groups that were, when you were coming up that you were like looking at thinking, okay, you know, we can, we can take a oh, little man. from them? <laughs> I grew up checking out George Clinton. Parliament Funkadelic, <laughs> man. Okay. That, that uh, inspired me 
because of his creativity, the music, okay. the theatrics on stage, his whole genius inspired me. Wow. Uh, also grew up listening to Moore's Day in the Time. Okay. Uh, I like that whole cohesive six member band action that Prince had put together. Yeah. Uh, Jeffrey Osborne with LTD. Okay. Uh, and Stevie Wonder and Michael Jackson. These okay. guys are just, you know, incredible. Incredible. Did, so it was a big inspiration. Did you did you also learn the business side? Because, you know, George owned his own stuff and, and uh, you know, James Brown, they all owned their own stuff. But but it was, you know, did you learn, did you know, know about that before when you guys were starting off? Yeah, that's how actually how we started. We started off, we had our own record label. Wow. Uh, called Blue Lake Records. Uh, our attorneys, Lloyd and Lloyd at the time, suggested that we start our own label. And so our first single was Tonight. And we put that out on our own independent label called Blue Lake Records. So we were starting to understand, you know, it's a great thing to own your own, but we didn't have all the resources to blow up yeah. without a major. Yeah. And so having the major really blew things up. But that's one of the reasons why we got our record deal uh, was because of the success that we had on our own independent label. Wow. I mean, we were only like 18, 19 years old. Yeah, but where did that come from? Because even today, you don't get artists savvy right. enough to, to think about that. How did, who, who inspired, how did you think, you say you got an attorney, but where, that doesn't seem straightforward. Yeah, they actually had a um, attorney firm in Detroit and they loved the record. Uh, Electrifying Mojo, huge DJ in Detroit area, turned us on to these attorneys. And the attorneys, Lord and Lord, Leonya and Leona, yeah. suggested, you know what? We don't need to wait to put this record out. We can form our own independent record and just circulate it in the Midwest, see what happens. That's where we got the business sense to do our own label. Um, we, we're we were still learning because at the time I would have said, okay, well sign us to our own label as a subsidiary of yours. But at the time we were still learning. And so we ended up just signing directly to MCA Universal. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But you, the um, so your first <laughs> album that comes out though, what was the process of when it comes to you know the whole writing to production? You know, because you said you mentioned a few songs that you had in high school, but did you start off fresh when you signed up with MCA? No, we had already. We were in the studio spending our own money. I spent my. Uh, we have in Michigan what's called a uh, open house when you graduate. Okay. From high school, and parents of the friends of your parents, they'll come over and give you college money and college money. So I took all of my seventy dollars, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I spent it all uh, in the studio. Wow! And some, and some of the other guys chipped in what they did, and th this guy chipped in what they did, and we started recording our album with Bernard Terry, and uh, we had four songs: Oh Sheila. Uh, tonight, Deep Inside Your Love, and I think the other was I'm the One Who Loves You, something like that. And we recorded, man, and we did a demo, and Universal MCA heard it. And we were like, good, you guys like it, we'll go back in and redo it because this is just a demo. And they said, oh no, 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 this is working right now. What we hear, we want to go ahead and put out. The next thing I knew it, but Lowell Silas was mixing our demo album. Wow. So 
we had already tried to make it sound really great, but we planned on going back in and redoing a lot of the songs. But MCA was like, no, you guys are handing in some good stuff. Let's just mix it and put it out. And they were right. You know, I think it would have been better had we gone back in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But sometimes you can't get the same spirit you had when you just developing a song. Yeah. And so you can go back and redo it, but you might not have that same thing. And yeah. I think what they heard was, no, this is working. Doesn't yeah. have to be perfect. But it's what we know we can make happen and sell, yeah. and that's how our first album came together. Yeah, no, I think the, I think the things that we kind of missed was the name of the group, "Ready for the World." How did that concept come out? The, the name. I, I wrote a song called "Ceramic Girl" on the first album, and there's a lyric in there that says, "So nonchalant, laid back, and ready for the world." So when I wrote that, I was saying, you know, she was, you know, looking good to me without the makeup. And I'm so nonchalant, laid back, and ready for the world. And our attorney said, you know what, you guys should probably use that line, ready for the world. To me, it was too long. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, ready for the, I want something simple and cool. <laughs> and they were like, no, I'm telling you, ready for the world works. And uh, they were right again. They were right again. But what were you calling yourselves prior to that? So you must have had a name. We had a private boys school. Okay. <laughs> uh, point Blank. Okay. Uh, what was the other name we had? I think Point Blank actually is still on our first record tonight because we hadn't come up with the name yet. Okay, okay. Yeah. Was, was that tonight that Twister sampled with Trey Song? Yeah. That? Oh yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yes, indeed. They did a heck of a job. With yeah, that. yeah. Still getting royalties on that, I'm sure. <laughs> 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 yeah, but then so when you guys started, you know, and I think one of the things I noticed with the um, in the 80s, the, who were the guys, the groups that were on your radar when you're thinking, OK, we need to we need to battle these guys. Not 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 competitive, uh, but just knowing that these are the guys we have to watch out for because we need right. to. You know, back then, bands were the biggest thing, man. You had uh, L.A. and Babyface was in a group called The Deal. The Deal, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That was one of the people that we would be on the road with, uh, uh, Roger and Zap. Okay, oh good, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, great. I mean, Roger, you know, great friend of mine before he passed. I had talked to him maybe three weeks before he passed. Wow. Uh, another group, uh, the Moors and the Time at the time was jumping out. Um, Cameo. Oh, <laughs> that was it. Was a These were heavy hitters, man. Yeah. That. When you step to the stage, man, you got to bring it because these guys, Cameo, Morris Day in the Time, I mean, these guys were killing it, man. Prince. Well, cool and the Gang, were they still, were they, F1 and Fire, were they still? Were yeah, they, they were still on the road. My 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 taste was, uh, man, I loved Earth, Wind and Fire. Uh, uh, loved those guys, but they were more or less a big band as opposed to a six member small band. Yeah. So Function, Earth, Wind, and Fire. These these guys had like twenty people on stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know when they were performing. So, but to just have that six man, five man, straightforward jam session, yeah. it was competitive back then because you got man heavy hitters, man heavy. Yeah, hitters. and and I think back when you started, the labels were a lot more patient with groups. I mean, they didn't. You know, I, I noticed you in your first time you put you know, what what you wrote nine songs, put out six singles, so they had time. Yeah. Yeah, they had time for the bands they weren't looking for. 
two, three million before they think, okay, we've invested enough. Right. What was different back then? Uh, what was big, well, you have to have your Barry Gordy's and your Gerald Busby's. What I mean by that, you have to have talent at the record label as well. Yeah. You don't have a lot of labels that have that type of talent that has an ear as well as executive skills like a Barry Gordy uh, or Gerald Busby. And one reason for the success of Ready for the World is Gerald Busby knew how to do records, knew how to place them mm. and put them out, but he really pushed the records at radio. Wow. As opposed to today, it's kind of really a microwave type of thing. Yeah, the Labels are, they won't stay on a record no more than uh, probably four weeks. Yeah, and then yeah, they're ready yeah. to jump on something else. Whereas back in the 80s and 90s, when they had a hit record, they worked that record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the difference between, you know, back then and now. Yeah. You know, there's a lot, when I listen to a lot of artists, Joe Busby and Louis L. Julian, they, they, they almost rate them as, you know, they were the modern day Barry Gordys who really did a lot, especially on MCA, for a lot of yeah. black artists. Um, when you, and I noticed that Louis L. Jr. Um, did remix on your stuff, but I noticed he worked with the edition and the BVDs and, and that's, so when he became an executive, what was it, so he just started mixing your stuff? Did you introduce yourself to him? What was that like, how was he? By the way, <laughs> oh, you know, I love Lowell, man. Uh, he passed away, it, it crushed us uh, when he passed, but we were introduced to Lowell by him saying, hello, I'm the new A&R at MCA, I'm gonna be mixing your album. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so. It was no other choice but to say, "Hey, how you doing?" He's like, "Yeah, I got this guy, and I'm gonna—I'll be mixing the album." But Lowell is a, was a DJ, oh, so wow. he understood music. He had that ear. Okay. And that's what I mean by at a record label, you have to have an ear as well as executive skills. And Lowell understood: this is a hit, this is a hit, this is not a hit, this is a hit. And that's what made Lowell so instrumental. He used to call himself the sixth member of Ready for the World. Wow. So the seventh, the seventh member of Ready for the World. <laughs> so we would go to Lowell's office and he would have our poster, but he would have the art director impose his photo wow. with Ready for the World. And uh, yeah, that was, man, Lowell, that was my guy, man. Wow. Now, yeah, as I said, everyone talks highly about him, and there's no one you'd hear about that doesn't talk highly about him. So I was in, I was shocked to see that he actually did your stuff, remixed it. And did oh, it. man, Lowell was my buddy. I would fly out just to hang out with Lowell. Wow. You know, so Lowell was that guy, man. Yeah. Wow. So then, when did you when you wrote O'Sheeler, did you know that oh this this is a hit, or did you think okay, was this one I of the if I honestly felt it when we did it. I, I still have the first recording when we did Oshila on cassette. The very first time we ever recorded Oshila in a studio, I still got that cassette. Wow. And it was something that I felt when I heard it. And I've always said, if you don't feel it first, you yeah. can't expect the fans to feel it. If you don't get those chill bumps, if you don't have that, oh, this is banging, yeah. you can't expect the fans. So, I'm very hard on myself when I'm when I'm writing. Uh, if I don't feel certain things when I'm doing a song, yeah, I'll probably trash it. Wow. And so that's the way I felt about Oshila tonight. Uh, you've got to have an ear. A lot of artists can either have an ear but can't sing, or you got some artists that can sing 
but don't have an ear yeah. or don't have a production direction. I thank God that he gave me that skill to produce, write, compose, and sing. So that's a blessing from God, nowhere else. You know? it, 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 so, I, you know, my auntie, when I moved to, I, I went to college in the U.S. and she lives in, um, she, she's, lived in Selma. Her name was Sheila. And so it was it was a song like, you know, you know, I always remembered my, it was easy to, when I first got introduced to her. She was the first Sheila I knew other than the record. Big record as it was. Did you, was it named after anyone? Did you, or was it just? <laughs> no, you know, I had, uh, whew, man, I had so many different, I had Olisa. I had, uh, <laughs> I had a lot of old, olds before Sheila. And uh, I met Sheila E. at the uh, American oh. Music Awards. Oh. And uh, you, I mean, we spoke about it. She's like, well, was that about, was that about me? I was like, you know, <laughs> actually it wasn't. It's just some names that I came up. She's like, well, it worked. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I'm, actually, I'm, I'm great friends with uh, her family. And uh, we joke about that. Yeah. But uh, no, the O'Sheela was just a name that I went through as one of the names for that song. Because I already had the melody. Yeah. But I needed that name. You know, so did, me did the melody come first? Did the melody, you were just hearing oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, mel melodies always come first uh, before I even write lyrics before I even do a vocal arrangement, the music has to move me first. Mm. And if the music is banging to me, then I'll go ahead and situate myself within that song. Yeah. So I'll come up with that vocal arrangement, but it has to complement the music. So I usually never write the words first. Yeah. I may have a hook in mind, yeah. but I need to find now the music that'll fit that hook. Wow. Now, do you use um, guitar or piano when you to, to get the melody? Either way, I play bass guitar, I play uh, keyboards, piano, yeah. and I play rhythm guitar. So it might be on the rhythm guitar. Tonight I wrote on it tonight on uh, rhythm guitar. Wow. Oh, Sheila, I wrote on bass guitar. Wow. Yeah. So you said you, you, you're you hearing the melody. So that it, it's because I guess it's fascinating to us is that you, you, you know, the melody almost as if the songs are just floating in the air and just pops in and you're like, oh, okay, this is a, and you just take it and go with it. It's just, it's just yeah. you're not forcing it, you're not forcing it. Or? It's, I just fiddle faddle. If I'm on the bass guitar, I might just sit in my bedroom, man, and just play around with it. And all of a sudden I might hit a lick that I'm like, oh, and I'm like, oh, I like, like that lick. And then I might add something to that lick. Or if I'm on, on the piano, I might just feel like, sitting down in my house playing the piano and all of a sudden I might hit a chord and that's how it happens. I let the music come to me. I don't, uh, cause I never know what I'm gonna come up with. Yeah. So yeah, I never know. I mean, what you're describing is very much like a, a gifting more so than just any person just singing. Cause that's, the, it, I don't think any of us, you know, it seems as if this is like a gift that you- It is, yeah. Song like exactly. Oh no, I'm always telling people, man, I. I I was a. I wanted to be a professional football player. Yeah, you <laughs> so, <laughs> kind of like Michael Jordan. You know, Michael Jordan wanted to be a baseball player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was blessed with basketball skills. I wanted to be a football player, but I was blessed with musical skills. So it's God given, man. You know, mm -hmm. and I always give God the glory, man. Always, mm. yes. So yes. when you put when you came up with, when you wrote the songs um, and now as a as a six band was there sort of the deliberation about okay no we don't like this song we like this or, or, or collaboration or, or how was it back in those early days 
back in those days, it was undeniable. When we would uh, come up with a song, we knew it was in the best interest of us to be honest with each other. If we came up with a song that was banging, it's like, oh, I like that demo, bro. Let's go ahead and work on that. Yeah. Uh, back then, everybody would present something that they may have done on their own. And yeah. then the group was supposed to come in and finish it up, play their parts, or either, if I liked a song that somebody did, I would listen to it and say, okay, yeah, I'll go and sing it. So really, back then, it was almost about honesty, about, hey, man, this is banging. Let's mm -hmm. record this. Yeah. You know, and everybody's supposed to go in after that and say, hey, let me play the bass line. John will come in and play the bass line. Gordon was supposed to come in and play the guitar. Uh, it didn't always work that way, but <laughs> that's the way it was supposed to be. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I noticed you guys produced, it, it says, you know, the album was produced by Ready for the World. So it, you, you kind of took a collective. And I, one of my favorite shows was VH1's Behind the Music. And, you know, they talk about how everyone yeah. starts off well and then money comes involved and everyone goes their separate ways and stuff. But so when I looked at sort of you guys were producing the albums as a group, I, I wondered how much that took away any sense of, well, Melbourne's doing all the work, you know, we're not doing anything kind of thing. Did it, did it seem to work in helping you guys? Well, it, it started off that way uh, with everybody coming to the studio and contributing. But after a while, you know, everybody's has a different view on what this and that should be. Yeah. And so you just got to respect what everybody else feels and what you feel. And my thing was always, it's about the music, regardless of whatever this, that, the else is going on, we got to get this album done and we got to come out with some hits. Yeah. And so I pretty much stayed in the studio a lot of the time uh, because I knew that we had a responsibility, which was we got to come with this record. And Lowell is breathing down my neck and Lowell is calling like, what's going on with the blah, blah. So, I'm in the studio 24-7, wow. getting songs done. And then some of the guys would come in and do their parts, and sometimes they wouldn't. So either way, if you did or didn't come in, this song has to get done. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was no other way of doing it. So this album was um, a big hit. And for your very first release, Global Hit, did that come too soon, did you think? Would you have preferred, you know, the slowly ease, you know, go gold and been old. Do you think it was like, wow? I would take take success either any way it came. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. So, no, it was more or less about let's keep banging it out, man. Let's keep on getting the hits out there. Um, and so, as it goes on, it just depends. Your record company has a lot to do with your success. Okay. You can have a hit record, but if your record company changes or does not promote it for whatever reason, yeah. Doesn't matter how great the record is, your record has to get that radio airplay, yeah. those visuals, that promotion and marketing. And one sour note that hit Ready for the World was when Gerald Busby left MCA. Uh, Gerald Busby was that promotion and marketing guru guy that knew how to push a record. Okay. So when he ended up leaving MCA, it impacted Ready for the World's success. Wow. Yeah. Was that for your second album or your third? Um, the third album is when we started to feel it because Love You Down came on the second record. Yeah. Uh, uh, Lowell and Gerald Busby was still there. Um, and then the third album came and that's when Gerald Busby was leaving at the end of that second album and at the beginning of that uh, My Girl album. Yeah. And so 
Gerald Busby came into the studio while we were even actually mixing my girlie. And he just came in and said, hey, fellas, you know, I'm, uh, I'll be leaving, going to Motown. Mm-hmm. But he did try to take us to Motown with him. And uh, MCA wouldn't honor that. They wouldn't let us leave the label. Wow. Yeah, because yeah. I, I, I did notice um, the, yeah, the, the change of the sales, but also the, the sort of promotion. And I, and I guess, and I think Michael touched on this, you know, about how when he came out with his last Invisible album, how he felt Sony wasn't pushing. And for those of us on the outside, we don't understand, but you're saying right. it, it makes a difference how they take the project and push it and stuff. Yeah, because uh, record companies' relationship with radio, television is massive. And what they choose to promote and market makes a difference. What they take as a priority, and they go to radio and say, okay, oh, Sheila, this is our number one priority. We want this record, and we want to be hard on this record. Whatever we got to do to make this, and then they'll make sure that you're getting a radio promotion. But you got to have a key guy that knows how to market yeah. and promote. That was Zero Buzz before us. Wow. Well, uh, same situation with Michael Jackson. Uh, when his relationship with Sony, I guess, was getting a little shaky, Yeah. Uh, you could tell the promotion and marketing was not where it could have, should have been. Yeah. And he felt that. He knew, because he understands the business. He knows when the record company pushes that button about yeah. let's make this record heard whether it's a hit or not is one thing, but when a record company knows we got to make this record heard, we got to make this record seen, this video, they know how to promote it. And yeah. if you lose that key person at that record label, you're yeah. going to feel the difference. Yeah. And that's the reality of the music business. And I guess we'll, we'll, I wanted to get on to how it's changed, but before that, um, I wanted to find out about the change. When you look at your album covers over the, over the years, the, the outfits change and, and the image change. And even the sounds of the music, and you know, one song that's, um, you know, uh, but they, they they keep changing. How was it for you to then say, okay, you know, we've got our sound, but we need to keep up with what was happening? You know, you get to, um, you get to '91, and you're releasing an album, and New Jack Swing kind of thing is out there, right. and um, and then you're like, okay, we need to sort of tap into this, but not lose our identity. Right. You, that's one of those things as a producer, songwriter, you just got to recognize and, and you're either going to recognize it and integrate that in who you are, or you're not going to stay, you're not going to keep up. You know, if we're running at this pace and you're still running at this pace, we're going to go off and leave you. And the same way with music, you got to recognize what's working for that time or what's going to even be after that. And so that's just one of those things that you either got it or you don't. You either know how to work it and know how to integrate. Like my girly is that Go-Go beat from DC. Yeah. <laughs> and Go-Go was starting, when we did my girly, Go-Go was that thing. Doing the button all over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so yeah. If you hear the drum tracks on my girly, uh, when I did the bass line and I started fiddle fallon, I tried to get that. Uh, that vibe, that DC go-go vibe, man. So you just got to recognize it and hear it and move on with it. I mean, one song that keeps popping in my head recently is uh, Straight Down to Business. You know, it was, you know, I would have thought it was remixed by Teddy Riley. It was very much in that era and stuff like that. I mean, did you then think, okay, this is what's happening now, but, you know, I'm writing my own stuff, but I need to, as a group, did you produce it yourselves? 
thinking, making sure that you're still, you, it, it's what radio was playing? Yeah, when I did uh, Straight Down to Business, it was what I was hearing in my head, uh, drum-wise, as well as Lowell actually came in with Vercel and worked with us on the drums on Straight Down to Business. And so it was a collaboration from the original. There's two versions of Straight Down to Business, and there's the one that is the original, and then you got the remix that Lowell came in and said, you know what, let's make the beat a little funky. And that's how he was so instrumental. Okay. Excuse me. And so, yeah, yeah, you gotta, you gotta recognize it, man, and hear it. Yeah. The Love You Down. So I have a, a weekly playlist, and Mondays the Smooth Jams. I was surprised by the love that people had for that track. I mean, it was almost as if, it's almost as if people said, "Oh goodness, we haven't heard this type of song in a yeah. long time." Yes, your good friends from the Good Girls. Dominique oh, yeah. <laughs> all yeah, commenting Dominique. like <laughs> yeah. all, all hitting up saying wow this is golden say hi to Velvet and everything oh yeah what was it about I, th I think and I think what's happening is we're starved with this type of with, you know because it's kind of music it's right now is very sultry very you know but I'm, I'm I'm listening to this and you're telling a story very subtle not forcing it around mm -hmm. and it's just almost as if wow that's that's almost making yourself vulnerable and, and and unfortunately the singers today don't want to do that so they really hide behind music and production but you stripped oh. everything out how did you know did you know when you were writing this that this was a personal letter that i'm going to share with the world what was it like <laughs> <laughs> love you down i wanted to story tell and i usually can see my music um so when i'm creating and i hear something i can i just see it and so Love You Down is more of a story telling about a young guy in love with the older woman. Mm. And so I wanted to make it real intimate, upfront and one-on-one. -on -one. And so I, I wrote it, I was in New Orleans when I first did Love You Down in my hotel room. We had a concert and I would always bring my studio into the hotel room and we had a day in the city. I would just bring my portable studio and I came up with Love You Down in New Orleans. And so that's pretty much how that came about. Wow. But yeah. when you were putting it together, did you think, wow, this is it, this is gonna be, did you know how it was gonna sound? Felt, you know, I felt it when I was writing it and when everything started coming together, I felt that goosebump come across as I'm writing. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's working. That's working. <laughs> I can't wait to go home and, and really record it, you know? What about the vocal arrangement? Because it, it's, as I said, it's very subtle, very, I mean, that's, it's, yeah, that's the same. I mean, watch, listen, listening to it, watching it again, and it's like, did, yeah. did you, could you visualize how to sing it? So when you were putting it down? Yeah, because like I said, I, I usually come with music first, and sometimes the vocal arrangement will come right away. Sometimes I got to work and try to find a vocal arrangement. And with Love You Down, it was one of those things where that vocal arrangement, I didn't have words first but the vocal arrangement came in while I was at the hotel in New Orleans, fiddle fattling around, and the whole vibe of it just felt good. So I kind of came up with that whole piano part with the vocal arrangement at the same time. Yeah. Thanks for watching. Please remember to subscribe to the channel, but most importantly to press the notification bell so that you can be notified when we do have a new interview. Loads to come, but thanks a lot for watching.